Amen. So, so if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and go to Luke chapter 24. If you're using one of our Uniontown Bibles, you can turn to page 1644. You'll find where we're going to be there on that page. Um, this is, it's, it's an exciting day. It's a hope-filled day for all of us who know Jesus, who love Jesus. We come in, we, we sing songs like this, right? And you, you get that, that natural boost of adrenaline, which could have something to do with either singing songs like this or the massive overdose of sugar that you're enduring right now. Provided by us, you're welcome. Apologize for nap time later. It's going to be a pretty hard crash. But um, I, one of the things that I think we forget, though, is that when we come in on Easter morning... Dressed to the nines, wearing our fancy outfits, making sure that we see the right people and sit in the right seats so that we're seen by the right people. That a room this size is probably filled with people who are missing that hope. Right? Who, who, who may, maybe, and it can be a couple of different things. It can be people who are, are just going through the, the, the hardest days possible. They know they love Jesus, but there is this, this vicious collision between real life and hope in that moment. Or, or maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus. You have no idea what that means to know Jesus, to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And, and this hope thing, you, you can put on a good face, but in reality, when you leave here, the hopelessness waits for you outside the door. As we look at Luke chapter 24, what we're going to find in this story is probably what was happening in the hearts and the minds of every single one of Jesus' disciples uh, after he had been crucified, and then on Sunday morning when they found the tomb was empty. There was a, there was a, a vicious um, lack of understanding. There was uh, an ability or a lack of ability to be able to make sense of what life in the shadow of the cross would look like as they still didn't understand the resurrection. So, so let me, in Luke chapter 24, I, I'm going to start back here in verse 1, even though it's not really our text, but I want to give you some, some context. And let me, maybe before we get to there, let me say this. So, so you remember the events leading up to Easter, right? It isn't all um, wonderful pastel colors and little eggs filled with chocolate and Easter bunnies. That, that's not like the context of real Easter. The context of real Easter uh, happened about five, six, seven days earlier when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey and people adored him and called him their king. And five days later, he was betrayed in the garden by one of his own. He was dragged in front of the high priest where he was mocked and spit upon and cussed at. And he was dragged to Pilate, who had no idea what to do. I mean, you read the story of Christ in his Passion Week, and you see the character Pilate. That poor boy is just confused out of his mind. I don't find anything wrong with him. What am I supposed to do? Crucify him. How can I crucify him? He hasn't done anything wrong. Well, crucify him anyway. I... And Pilate yields and hands him over, Jesus over, to the ones who would want him crucified. The context of Easter is that Jesus was led to Golgotha, the place of the skull, and he was laid out on a cross and nails were driven through his wrists and through his feet as he was raised on the cross. And people standing at the foot of the cross didn't weep for him, they mocked him more. See, the context of Easter is a tragedy. Context of Easter is a grand surprise that Sunday morning, starting in Luke 24, verse 1, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb and they were bringing spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in, but they didn't find the body of Jesus. 
And while they were perplexed about this, suddenly there were two men who stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and they bowed down to the ground and the angels asked them this question, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men, he is not here, he is risen. Oh, couple, you got it. I told you, they're going to be sneaking in on you. The angels are like, why are you looking for somebody who's alive among the dead? He is risen. There you go. All right, good. All right. If you didn't get it the second time, I was just going to pray and be done. So it's all right. So, so, so there's this, this amazing thing that occurs. And then we begin to see the tension in the hearts of the people as they try to justify what's going on. An empty tomb, what? How's this work? You see stories of, of the disciples running the tomb. I love the account in the book of John. John never names himself. He just calls himself the disciple who Jesus loved because evidently John has an arrogance problem. And he says, so when we heard this from the ladies, Peter and the disciple who Jesus loved raced to the tomb. And I just want to point out, this is in the book of John. I just want to point out that, uh, the, 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 that uh, the, the disciple who Jesus loved, he did outrun Peter. But he stopped at the edge of the tomb. He didn't go in. Peter went all the way in. When he looked and he saw that there was no body, it says they, they left and went back to their homes and they struggled. The story we look out this, at this morning gives us a fuller picture of the struggle. Look in verse 13 of Luke chapter 24. Now, that same day, there were two of them, two disciples, who were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together, they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, I'm going to stop there, just to get the picture. So, so here you have two disciples who are leaving Jerusalem. They're leaving after these people had discovered an empty tomb. And they're walking to Emmaus. It's about a seven-mile journey. And the two of them are walking down the road. And you can picture them. I mean, it, it even says that they were discussing these things. They were arguing these things. And, and there was a lack of hope in them. Can you believe this? Do you believe what just happened? I mean, let's, let's be honest. It'd be similar to, and I won't, I'll pick a different football team to make fun of this week, okay? It'd be like leaving a Redskins game. What happens all the time? Two fans who are just committed to the Redskins their entire life, walking down the road, moping, discussing what just happened. Can you believe that just happened? Now, the list with the Redskins is pretty extensive, so I don't want to jump in there and waste my time. But it says there, see, I got to offend equal people, equal time. So just, don't worry, Ravens fans, your time's coming. Um, so as they're discussing, and then begin to argue, it's almost as if when these two were talking about it on their road, they were pretty certain what had happened and what went wrong. No, 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 no. See, if Jesus would have done this, then none of this would happen. If Jesus would have done that, then we'd have hope. If, if Jesus would have, and so, so you have this conflict that's occurring between the two of them. And I, and I love at the end of verse 15, it says this, Jesus himself came near to those two and began to walk along with them, but they were prevented from recognizing him. Now notice, it doesn't say they didn't recognize him. It doesn't say that as they were walking and Jesus joined them on the road, you know, the resurrected Jesus, it doesn't say that they were like, hmm, wonder who that guy is. We just can't even tell. It says they were prevented from recognizing him. So I, I don't know, I, did he wear one of those, those hoods over his face, like a ninja hood or something? I mean, we just know he didn't wear a name tag and said, hey, I'm Jesus. I mean, so, so they didn't know who he was. And they're walking, and he asks them in verse 17, what, what is this um, dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and looked sad. 
Now, that, that's a conversation killer right there. The this, this stranger approaches them and walks alongside them and says, what is this discussion you're having? And it's the two other guys just like, oh, man. And the one disciple who we get his name here, Cleopas, he answers him and he says, are you, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? What things? Jesus asked them. So you get a sense of frustration. Are, are you kidding me? You must be the only person alive who has not heard what just happened. Well, what just happened? So they say this to him. The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people. How our, how our chief priests and leaders had handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. We were, we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Well, besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened, so, so some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. So some of us, those who were with us went to the tomb, and we found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. See, it's interesting that Jesus comes alongside these two disciples as they're walking down the road and asks them, why are you so sad? And their response is, we'll tell you why we're sad. We're sad because of what happened with Jesus. See, see we thought, we, we thought, we, we thought, he says he, he was he's a prophet. We thought he was like a prophet who was powerful in word and action. We thought he was different. We had hoped that he would come and redeem Israel. And this seems a little insignificant, but we had heard the ladies saw angels. We went, the tomb was empty, but we didn't get to see any angels. Why are you so sad? Because we thought and we had hoped and we had heard that Jesus was going to do all these things for us. And obviously it didn't happen. And this thing with Jesus now it's just done. It's just done. See, they had bought into some lies about who Jesus was and what Jesus was here for, didn't they? But before we accuse them of being blinded disciples, we should probably do a look at our own hearts. And what are some of the things that you and I believe that Jesus is going to do for us, right? I mean, what did we, we thought Jesus was going to make sure that I got that promotion because I went to church. Well, I had heard that if I passed this Facebook meme along, then I would have financial stability the rest of my life. I had hoped that if I dressed myself up and started reading my Bible, then Jesus would heal me of this horrible disease. You don't we do the same things? When Jesus hears them say these things about him, we get a picture of Jesus in the next verse that I think sometimes makes us uncomfortable, but it's wonderful. He says to them in verse 25, how foolish and slow you are to believe all that the prophets had spoken. He didn't like tiptoe into this. 
He heard them saying, see, we had heard about Jesus and we thought he was going to come in and be a prophet that we had never seen before. But you know what? He just died like everybody else. We had hoped that he would come and and redeem Israel, which just for the record, isn't like this grandiose plan to have for other people. These guys are like, we were hoping he would redeem Israel so we would get in on the leadership. We had heard, but none of this happened. And Jesus said, how foolish are you? So, so it's not, he's not the soft, cuddly Jesus who carries a lamb with him all the time, folks. If you're a fool, he's going to call you a fool. That's exactly what he does right here. You fools. You obviously don't understand me. Let's continue, verse 26. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer all these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets... He interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. So now what happens is Jesus, they don't know it's Jesus, it's secret Jesus, is walking along with the two disciples. He hears them saying half-truths and straight-up wrong things about him, and he leads them now on the rest of their journey through one of the greatest Bible studies ever. Jesus is going to do a little Sunday school with them. And he says, let's start back at the law. Can we talk about the law? Let's talk about the prophets. Let's talk about, and he walks through the entire Old Testament and says, let me tell you what scripture actually says about this Jesus. I think you are missing the point. I think you have assumed things you should never have assumed. And see what Jesus does in that moment and says, it's not about you. See see this book right here? This book is the true inspired holy word of God. And from beginning to end, it has one main character, and his name is Jesus. See, it's not about you, but a lot of times we read the Old Testament like it's about us, don't we? Good stories, Sunday school stories. I mean, this is like Moses. I mean, this is a goofy one. I don't know if anybody even believes this, but I'll throw this out there. Moses, we read the story of Moses who goes to Egypt and rescues millions of Israelites and leads them through the wilderness for 40 years, and some of us can read that and go, man, if Moses can put up with millions of people in the wilderness for 40 years, I can put up with this three-year-old for another hour, right? That's not the point of the story of Moses. Jesus says, let me tell you about how the story of Moses is about me. See, just like Moses went into Egypt and led his enslaved people out of Egypt, that's what Jesus did. He came and he rescued us from the slavery of sin. So, so how, about, how about Joseph? I skipped Joseph. Let's not skip Joseph. Joseph's a good picture of it. Let's think about Joseph. I mean, Joseph, some of you know the story. Joseph was a little brother. He had 12 older brothers he, or 11 older brothers. He was, he was the man in the family, even though he was the little dude. People loved him. I mean, daddy thought he was the greatest, so gave him a coat of many colors. And the other brothers were not happy about it. Now, Joseph, a little braggadocious, not very wise in the way he approached some things. The boys are out working in the field, and for some reason, Joseph's not working in the field. Why? Daddy loved him, didn't want him to get blisters. But Joseph goes to the field and visits his brother. He's like, hey, guys, guess what? Guess what? You've all had that little brother, right? Guess what? Guess what? Guess what? And he's got his his coat of many colors like, guess what? I had a dream. You're all going to bow to me. (laughs) You're older brother. What would you do? That's what they did. They threw him in a pit. They put blood on his coat of many colors. They went back to their daddy and said, Daddy, something terrible's happened and Joseph's gone. Well, he was gone. They sold him into slavery. Joseph becomes a, a lead servant in the house of Potiphar. And when he's there, he is falsely accused 
He's thrown into jail. He sits in jail for years until he's finally released and he gets to go to Pharaoh and interpret a dream and then Pharaoh makes him second in command and he sits at the the right hand of Pharaoh. We read that story so many times. We're like, Joseph, man, Joseph, man, I wish I had the patience of Joseph. I wish, I wish that I could, you know what, that's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to attain this. I am going to become the guy who just does right, even if he's falsely accused. Okay, great principles found throughout all of Scripture. That's not the point of the story of Joseph. As Jesus is walking through this Bible study with these disciples, he says to him this, let me tell you about Joseph, <clears throat> the one who sat at the right hand of Pharaoh and rescued his brothers, even though they didn't deserve it. Jesus is the greater Joseph. He's the greater Moses. <laughs> I don't know if I have time. How about Jonah? Just, just obey God, whatever you do, or else you're in trouble. That's the typical, out, what we take from that story. We threaten our children with it. You obey immediately, or I'm throwing you in the water. I mean, I'm just, you don't say that, is it? That wasn't planned. It just kind of came out, and I realized what it sounded like when I said it. Strike that from the record. No, we read Jonah, and we think of how we're in that story, when in fact, the story of Jonah is a picture of how Jesus was tossed into the, into the storm to quiet the storm that was going to destroy us. And he stayed there for three days until he was brought back to life. David. Oh, David's the one we violate every time, man. We read the story of David and Goliath, and every single one of us is like, I'm going to be like David. Where are my smooth stones? I'm going to take down the giant. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're not David. No, no, no. You're one of the Israelites who's standing back in the front line shaking in your boots. You're one of the Israelites that's scared out of your mind every time Goliath's head comes up over the horizon. You're freaking out back there. That's who you are in that story. You know who Jesus is? Jesus is David who comes and slays the giant. And know what you get to do? You get to dance in the benefits of what David did, what Jesus did, the greater David. So as Jesus walks with the disciples, he begins to slowly unpack the Old Testament. Like, look at this. It's all pointing to me. It's all pointing to me. And they, they finally make it to their destination. And this is a little cat and mouse game, I think, which I find hilarious. And in verse 28, he says, uh, they came to the village where they were going, Emmaus, and, and uh, Jesus gave them the impression he was going a little farther. But they urged him, and they said, no, 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 stay with us, because it's almost evening. The day's almost over. So, so Jesus obliged. He's like, well, I couldn't. Uh, no, I'm going to keep going. Don't worry. No, but you just come on in. No, I couldn't. No, come on in. Okay, I'll, I'll stay with you. And so he enters into the home, and it was as Jesus reclined at the table with them that he picked up the bread. And he blessed it. And he broke it. And he handed it to them. And in that moment, their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. But he disappeared from their sight. And then they started talking to each other. Weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? And in that very hour, they got up and they returned to Jerusalem. Why? Because when you come face to face with the realization of who Jesus really is, and that it's not about you, and then that is confirmed by the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, you ain't sitting still. And so they run back to Jerusalem, seven miles, remember? Seven miles. So now they've done 14 miles in one day. You half marathoners, woohoo, go. 
So, so he runs back to Jerusalem, and they run into the presence of the other disciples, and they say this, the Lord, he is risen. Oh, this side gets it. They get the extra donuts for you. Way to go. Praise the Lord. You guys are a little slow in the draw, but it's okay. They walk into the presence of the other disciples, and they, their minds are blown. You're not going to believe this. He is risen. Does it get any better than that? See, the resurrection becomes the battle cry of every believer from that moment on. The resurrection tells us what all of the past is all about. The resurrection confirms that there's a hope for our future. Because that same Jesus, who who now is at the right hand of the Father, is going to return for us someday. Someday he's going to come. We're going to meet him in the clouds. We will be with him forever because he is risen. That's a battle cry of hope. It's not a quaint little saying that I'm trying to make you say over and over this morning. He's risen. That should give you hope. Don't view things through the lens of everything's about me. Don't view things through the lens of, man, if my life's hard and difficult, then what am I going to do? Don't view things through, through that lens. Instead, view things through the lens of the resurrected Jesus Christ who rose from the dead so that you could have complete freedom and power to live the way he's called you to live. And you know how he's called you to live? By trusting in him in those moments when you don't have hope. By leaning on him and taking him at his word. See, see, Jesus came. And he came not because it would make a good story. He came for those who are hopeless. He came for those of us who tried everything in our power to earn favor in God's eyes and yet failed every time. Jesus came and fulfilled all of those prophecies and he lived a life in perfect obedience to all of God's law. That's a life that you and I couldn't live. You and I have probably sinned more times than we can count already this morning since we rolled out of bed. Jesus lived his entire life without sinning against God once. And then he willingly, nobody forced him, nobody dragged him, nobody took his life from him. He willingly laid down his life for you. We observed Lord's Supper on Friday night. We talked about how Jesus' body was broken. Broken because of your sin. Jesus' blood was shed. It was spilled because of your sin. I mean, that, that, that's, that's a powerful reminder of who we actually are. We like to think we're different. But in breaking his body and, and spilling his blood, what he's done for us is bought a freedom for us. What he has done for us is finished it. And it's, it's not a mopey, oh, it's all over, it's done. It's not that. It's finished. Your freedom has been purchased. You're owned by Jesus. You are a child of the king and you will forever be in his presence. Just as Jesus lives, so shall you. Now, now please understand, this doesn't get like blanketly applied to all of your accounts. It's a gift that you have to receive. It's a gift that you have to receive and it comes in in repentance and it comes in faith. Repentance is, is agreeing with God about your sin. It's I'm a sinner 
I know all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and I have fallen short so many times, and God, I'm a sinner, and you are correct in calling me that, and I know I can't do anything myself to change that. I can't come into your presence because you won't allow sin into your presence. And again, it's not because sin is kryptonite and God's like, oh, sin. It's because as soon as sin enters the presence of God, he destroys it. And as a sinner, if you were to try to go into his presence on your own, judgment would be yours. So receiving the gift is repentance. It's saying, God, I agree with you. I understand that I am a sinner. But it's also faith. And that faith is this. You are the son of God who came and laid down his life for me and who took it back up again and lives forever. And through your sacrifice for me, I can come into God's presence and live a life that is marked by freedom and acceptance in God's eyes. That's what it means to receive the gift and to be in Jesus. And so this morning, I'd ask you if you're in Jesus. If you're not, in a moment, I'm going to pray, and then I would encourage you to bow your head and close your eyes where you are and pray with the prayer from your heart and, and repent, agree with God about your sin, and, and, out in fa- and ask in faith for Jesus to be your Savior. There's no better time to do that. You know that, right? I'll wait. No, no, no. Today's the day of salvation. Oh, I'll wait. How many of you are guaranteed tomorrow? There's no waiting. And, and, and it's not a, all right, I'm a, I'm a horrible sinner and I need a savior. No, see, the other side of it is this freedom that we have because Jesus is alive. The other side of it is you're receiving a gift that fills you with the power, the energy, and the, the focus and the freedom that you need to do life every day. And so that's what we celebrate because through Christ and Christ alone, we have hope. You remember that hope? You cling to that hope? He's risen. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the powerful reminder of your word that Jesus Christ is both the subject and the object of every story throughout Scripture. God, forgive us for reading Scripture and making it about us. And God, I I pray for the the people who are in here this morning. And God, I'm I'm actually looking at them right now. (laughs) Lord, would you do a work in their heart? Would you encourage the ones who need to be encouraged? Would you rebuke the ones who need to be rebuked? Would you save those who are lost? I pray for the one who might be wrestling here right now with repentance and faith. God, I pray, I beg that in this moment of silence as we come to you and fall before you, Father, that they would cry out to you and confess that they're a sinner. I pray, Father, that you would give them the strength, the courage, the boldness, and the obedience to cry out to Jesus to be their Savior. Lord, I I pray that today someone would cross from death to life. Father, we're thankful for the hope that you continue to give to us. Not a false hope, not a cheap hope, but a living hope. May we remember that as long as we live. It's in the name of the good and resurrected Savior, I pray. Amen.